This is Five and Nine, a podcast at the intersection of magic, work, and economic justice. Welcome to season four in the Wadi Rum Desert. I was surprised to learn one day that camelids, the ancestors of today's camels, emerged in what we now call North America. They wandered into the Asian continent some six million years ago and were domesticated by humans about 5,000 years ago. What you're hearing is our group riding dromedary camels. That's the camel species with one hump, found primarily in the region. For most of us, it's our first time, and it's both awkward and breathtaking. An adult camel can be as tall as eight feet or two and a half meters at the shoulder, and even higher at the hump. They have to kneel down to let you on. Every day in the desert, we can see them in the distance, little moving dots in the landscape. There's these camels that have been slowly coming closer across the horizon behind you. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it's been really magical to, like, see this, like, foreground of of these wildflowers, these bouquet of white flowers that just pop out of the sand. And then the super vibrant greenery, a little deeper in the valley, just fading away. And these camels just slowly, I feel like they were listening, like yeah. they were like drawn yeah. to yeah. whatever we were yeah, doing. Energy. The closest ones are like literally like looking over your shoulder from in the valley. And it just, the setting is magical. Oh my goodness. Birds, camels. Yeah. We got little flies. We got some beetles, <laughs> some beetles on the ground. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's what I love about the desert. It's when you arrive, it feels so dead. Mm. But when you actually spend time here, it's just filled with life. Yeah. Filled with so many things, and both literal life, but also metaphysical, I think. Such a beautiful metaphor also of just like, it seems so, like you said, dead upon arrival. But part of it is that we have to slow down and quiet down to see it, to get all of the information, right? Christine Bannock. I am an artist, an art producer, art historian, a dabble in curation. It's so hard to introduce ourselves or even like capture ourselves in labels and titles. The most new one for me is owning the title Healer. And this is, as I mentioned yesterday, the first time I'm sharing that in a group setting. And now a very large group on the podcast. (laughs) So thank you. How did that feel for you? How does it feel for you to, to share that label for yourself, that name, that title for yourself and to embody it as you speak it out? Each time I do it, it feels more and more comfortable. And as I also shared before, I know that things are in tune with my intuition and important and powerful when they bring tears to my eyes. Mm. And it still does a little bit. Not mm. not the waterworks of the first time I said it out mm-hmm. loud, but it's still that like really strong signal. There's so much pressure, I think, in our world mm. to have a single thing that you do. Yeah. To say, hi, I'm Helen. Yeah. I'm a curator. Yeah. Not, I'm Helen McCurator, I do this, I do this, I do yeah. this, I do this, I do this. I feel like this is like a modern thing. Mm. Or at least I meet more people like this. And I'm curious, what is your experience like owning all these 
Mm. I don't know if the word owning is even the right word. Yeah, yeah. It it feels very much, sometimes it feels like sides of a coin or different facets, and especially entry points to get to know me or get to know someone. Of Often it feels like you'll meet me in one facet, and as you get to know me, there's more. And I was actually just journaling last night about the experience here in Wadi Rum that this feels like the most fully authentic representation of myself that I've had because there is so much space of knowing that each of us has all these extra, not even extra, that we are these complex, multi-layered beings and that there's been so much space to know that and also to explore it with each other. That even a few people that we've had a few degrees of separation and they might know me through one lens Mm. to get to sit down and like have time and space to get into more of the layers and see the connection points. I think the mic is picking up the birds and there's just these these beautiful birds in the background uh, that uh, they they wake us up and (laughs) just saying good morning. Yeah. Yeah. So moving back to kind of the conversation about hyphenation, about all the different layers of exploration, layers of self, season four is about crisis. The reason it's, it's the theme is crisis, I think there are two things. Crisis in Greek, it actually means a sift or a sieve. And so it's a, it's a sieving, it's a sifting of things settling in, some things being cast away, other things being kept. And at the same time, it's also a crisis because, one, the public health emergency, mm. the WHO, was declared officially over after about over three years. And two, we're also here in one of many residency discussing the water crisis, discussing all the different crises in the world. Definitely the, the pandemic opened so much eyes, hearts, minds, existence, all of the things. A big part of me owning the title healing healer and wanting to bring healing into my practice was the pandemic experience. I had the honor of being able to take care of my father during most of 2020, who mm. was recovering from a cancer treatment that just happened to be in March of 2020. Oh my goodness. And ironically, he was going to have to quarantine anyways. But then we were quarantining with the rest of the world. So I became a full-time caregiver while also feeling like the whole world really needed some some care and some give. There's this desire to go back to normal. And I say normal in quotations because, one, I don't think such a thing exists. And two, there's a lot of things that we said we didn't want to return to. And I really worry that by not all processing the experience and by all I mean global humanity right it was one of the few experiences that the entire globe went through together yes and our individual experiences looked incredibly different but a global pandemic unlike anything in our lifetime and this shift back towards removing support governmental support but also just some of the individual of well, I didn't get sick, so it didn't happen. Or I recovered, or I I got it three times and I recovered. I've seen a lot of trying to turn away from it and not even process it. And as we know, if we don't process trauma, (laughs) it's going to find a way. You're going to process it at some point. It's just a question of how. That's right. And if we do it intentionally, it tends to be a lot less rough (laughs) than than if we don't. So I don't, I don't have the answer for it, but what I'm really thinking about is I've 
again, had the honor of getting to collaborate with an artist who does a lot of looking back into the archive and bringing historical events forward and shining light on them. And I do believe that's a really important stage in the process. But the stage I'm really interested in and want to work towards is the aftercare of that. Yes. I remember being at the opening of the EJI Museum in Alabama and Brian Stevenson was saying that someone once asked him, you know, why why this museum that references slavery in the U.S. and and the long-term effects of that that we're still in, why do you want to open this wound? And he said, well, we can't clean out the wound if we don't open it. It festers. And I want to take it a step further and follow through on the healing process of okay, we've opened the wounds so we can get the light to it, so we can shine the light and clean it out. And then how do I also embrace you and walk beside you as we move forward? And part of that is visioning a future that we want to be in. My long-winded answer to all of this is part of it is that we will have more global crises, including the water one. And how do we do it as a globe, as a humanity, knowing that we're all affected? The joint share in the labor will make a lighter load for everyone. And you know, it's something I've been so concerned about as well. It feels like we're just trying to move on as a Mm -hmm. society. I haven't seen, at least me, I haven't seen a lot of acts of grief or public mourning um, or recognition of this incredibly traumatic uh, event that, like you said, like we all had individual experiences, but it's one of those rare global experiences that affected everyone in different ways. The way you talk about your work, I can see you blending art and healing and your research all in one one thing, and it's and it feels to me like it brings up this idea that art, at least for me, has been such a healing process. I have not put it into practice as much as I'm still processing and theorizing on it. But I do see artists as having this ability to bring up these issues and introduce new processes. Unlike really any other, if we want to call it a profession, it feels much larger (laughs) than that. I know it's possible because I've seen it. Mm -hmm. I've seen it by other artists that we can both expose the wound, expose the injustice, call for justice and enact it. It is all possible. That process is is what I'm really thinking about. Basically creating a space and an experience where the flow from one space to another inspires and leads someone through a healing process. You highlight something, which is that healing is a process. I think we so often want to believe that I'm, you know, I'm healed. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Mm-hmm. That's, that's in the past. Yeah. But I think for so many of us who study trauma, who study how pain works, is that it's never done. Mm-hmm. It's just in process. Yeah. And things just go through cycles. And, and so I love this idea of exploring healing as a process and guiding us through that in different ways. One thing I also want to go back to that you've talked about, Elsa, is kind of this theme of multiple identities or, mm-hmm. or what it means to own identity. What's that experience like for you and, and um, versus what it feels like maybe when we're in the city mm-hmm. and there's this need to kind of condense and compress? Definitely put on a tougher facade, especially like in quote professional spaces or being in Brooklyn where I, I spend a good amount of time that, you know, I will put on this facade like fast talk or fast walker or when I'm in my art producer hat, I'm representing someone else. 
So there's a lot of myself that I hold back because I want to make sure that I'm representing this other person in the best way. But it does mean that I'm not giving people the opportunity to know me. For instance, like I, I say I spend a lot of time in Brooklyn, but my real home, the place that I want to be most is actually in Wyoming, which is where my dad lives, where I took care of him in 2020. I grew up in California, but we would spend our summers in Wyoming and talk about wide open spaces and being able to like fully embody myself. It's there that I'm thinking of. And even that information, right? Like you talk to someone, a real New Yorker, and you say you're from anywhere else or want to be anywhere else, you can watch them put you in a category. I'll also mention as like as a larger bodied human who is, has a complicated relationship with existing in a larger body because there's also I also realized I do so much traveling and planes feel super unsafe to me because they can literally be physically uncomfortable or damaging. I've gotten right. off of smaller planes with bruises, you know, oh my gosh. Um, when we think about access accessibility, right? different abilities and and how to get to a space let alone to exist in a space there's also a lot of questions in that of physical abilities when i think about creating one is creating a comfortable environment for people to take up their full authentic selves to to live the multi-hyphenated contradictory complicated messy in process existence that we all deeply have and i I think that's why I fight against the the phrase of normal so much in anything. What is normal? It's so often used as a way to constrict our existence right. and not to exist in our messy selves. Right. And we're humans. We are meant to be messy and we're meant to mess up. And that's a big part of it too. Safe spaces, I believe, should be ones that we're allowed to make mistakes, but we're also held accountable, especially when we talk about race and justice I am, as I said, a white woman who's constantly making mistakes. And what I appreciate so much is being allowed to make them, but also being held accountable for them. And I want to do the same. We all live many lives. Throughout our time on Earth, we find versions of ourselves that rise and fall. These moments of change can be disorienting, but... Looking back, it's often clear that they were necessary times of change. During our time in Wadi Ram, Helen is wearing the label of healer for the first time. The practice of being a healer is often described as a vocation. The word vocation, coming from the Latin word for voice, is a reminder of the ancient idea that the work from which we derive the most meaning often starts as a small voice in the heart or in the mind, calling us to a new path. Oh, that was a good one. That was really good. I think that was so good. We need to just like leave it as it. <laughs> yeah, I think that was right. Yeah, that was great. Okay. I'm a baby card reader. I'm yeah. I'm very new to this, but I realized one of the questions I really like to ask is, "What message is intended for me today?" Mm. In, but I'd like to ask for a message from Wadi Rum mm. to the cards. Mm. Okay, so we'll fan these out. And yeah. so what we'll do is I'll invite you, I'll, I'll guide you through the spread. We actually, in our podcast, we actually designed a spread that I feel, mm. think feels really appropriate for this particular question. And it's the seed, the root, and the garden. Mm. And we're surrounded by beautiful wildflowers. There's a lot of green. I understand this is not common mm. here in Wadi Rum. I have to point out this bird just landed right bird. above us on oh the gosh. swing. 
and right behind the bird is the moon about to go down and it was just this like beautiful color like this white belly with the moon behind it it just fluttered off but i just feel like that was such a beautiful little blessing thank you wadi oh, wow. so that was gorgeous and we have the the waning moon yeah. the disseminating moon, the moon of sending out messages um, mm. from a, a lunar eclipse actually that was just, yeah. that just come through yeah yeah well, that was a lovely moment thank you for sharing that wow i didn't even notice so the seed is what's been planted by you coming here mm. the root is what's taking root by being here. What's growing? What are you exploring? And then the garden is then the conditions in which the root mm-hmm. can grow. And I want to say field, but here the garden implies an intentionality because it's a message that for you and what you can cultivate today and during your time here to allow the seed and the root to really grow. And it's actually a vertical spread. And for our listeners, we're using the Mixed Signals deck designed by M. I. Flair, who's a season three guest. Which I have to ask, are these cards available? They, we would like them to be. I would like to be on that list, really? please. Really? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah we're, we're hoping to make them available. Yeah. This is the first printing of the deck, oh, first iteration. So and and that's been part of my residency practice, practice is, is just using this deck and exploring it, seeing how people respond to it. Yeah. So thank you. Thank yeah. you. All right. Okay. Seven of Stones. And it's this beautiful ombre of like pink to blue with the seven of stones in this like blue green and I see flowers these like pink flowers actually they're making me think of a flower that I saw yesterday by the spring that we went to in Roddy Rum I'll have to show you after with these green leaves and feels like blue stems it feels very perfect as we talk about gardens it does it does it's a lovely card and let's take a look at the root as well Maker of Wands. Ooh, another like great pink half. And then I see like yellow and black on the top half with the drawing in black. And I see a hand reaching for what looks like flowers coming out of a block of wood and then a pencil, a paintbrush, and a knife. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. As I said, I really like this deck. I really, oh, really? like oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Let's talk about these first two and the stones here. Mm-hmm. Seven of stones. Um, the stones in this deck represent the pentacles. Mm-hmm. Um, in other decks, are the pentacles. The stones represent earth, the land, career, work, labor. And what I see here with the seven of stones is that you've put in a lot of work mm-hmm. to building, growing, allowing things to flower. But also what we're seeing here is some things are wilting away. Mm-hmm. Some things are being discarded, allowed to fall. Mm-hmm. And that's also okay. And so... What comes up for me as I look at this is that you're in this space, Helen, of both exploring, allowing these buds to grow, but also maybe discarding some aspects of yourself that maybe are no longer needed, that are had a beauty, had a purpose. But as with all life, sometimes just need to pass on to make space, like you're saying, to take up space, to make space in a new way for yourself, for new identities, new facets of yourself, and also new contexts for yourself. And so I see this beautiful seed that's been planted, both in this conversation and you coming here today, and in your journey that allowed you to make this decision to be here. And that's what I see with the seven of stones in it. I want to talk about it in dialogue with the root, and then then would love to hear your reactions, because the maker of wands is such a beautiful card for an artist, the way you've described it, right? It's this hand with tools, there are flowers, leaves growing. 
the maker here is someone who is mastering the wands. And in the Rider Waite Smith deck, the equivalent might be the queen of the wands. But of course, in this deck, we're trying to make it less gendered and more about the artistic process. And so the maker of wands here is someone who, like you, um, actually what I've seen of you, <laughs> grabbing your pen, writing, building, assembling things. And so that's what's taking root now, yeah. is you're exploring, working with the artist here, figuring out that collaboration, building that process. What feels so important and what I see in the connection here, right, is that as things are discarding, as things are growing, you're selecting the flowers from the seven of stones and placing them into this block in a way that feels right. Feels right for now. Maybe feels right for a long time. Mm. Or maybe it's something you explore, you set aside, but either way, that's part of the process of making. And the wands, of course, are the spirit of, uh, are the suit of the chi, the spirit, the energy of life. And so this exploration is really about the spark that brings you joy. Oh my gosh, that just like felt so true like mm. in in my gut thank you so much for that yeah yeah I feel all of that there's been a lot of seeds planted that I think I've also treated like stones like a weight like a burden or like something that isn't going to spring forth the design of a plant seed is to like flourish and to be fortified and to like endure all these extreme changes in temperature and moisture and everything else and and we get so much beauty from them when they're they're where they're supposed to be. So should we take a look at the garden? Yeah. Oh wow. The devil. It is black and white card with a, a white silhouette hand reaching up to a lot of what feels like to me some abstract gestures but with a lot of shapes, a lot of texture. I see fire, I see stones, I see kind of everything in it. It's like chaos represented. Yeah. yeah. And as you say that, the wind's starting to blow. Mm. And uh, wow, it's a powerful card. Yeah. yeah. It often has negative connotations. But here I think it's, it has a sense of you embracing the sides of yourself that maybe you haven't allowed out. Yeah. Embracing, you know, so much of what the devil represents in, in the context of the tarot is where have you, what have you been suppressing? What have you been hiding? And what can you bring out both today, but in your practice? What can you grasp that maybe you've been scared to hold on to? And there's something really beautiful about this illustration. I'm just going to pick it up so I can see it. It's almost, you know, it's funny. It's almost bird-like to me. Mm. It's mm -hmm. almost like this message from this little sparrow that popped in. So how can you, how can you embrace that rebellion, that difference, the parts of you that have made you feel hurt? To me, that's such an important part of the healing practice is that you dig into your wounds, bring them out into the world to share with others, because so many of us are hurting as well. And it's such a beautiful message about the garden that's going to allow you to tend, to hold, to make space for others. Thank you. Um... <laughs> I'm crying because that felt so true. So thank you so much. I'm actually shocked I haven't cried up until now. I think this mm. is the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, oof, yeah, that, that really got me. What's funny is when you let me see the deck earlier, I remember seeing this card wow. and I remember being like, yeah, this is one of those cards that people are afraid of, but that's so powerful. It has such a strong message. There's so much beauty in it. Yes. And so to turn this over, even just turning it over, I was like, 
You got me. <laughs> like, uh, okay, heard. It's ringing really, really true for where I am in my process. And, and part of it, as you were saying too, what can be like the stigma around it or the fear around it is, is something I'm really thinking about when I think about having the term healer, but also my lineage and especially my matriarchal lineage, my lineage on my mother's side, (laughs) (laughs) is that actually on both sides, there's some family lore about actually tea leaf readers, but also tarot card readers, great grandmothers on both sides. And that I've had a lot of awakenings lately about the divine feminine power that, and I say that as a phrase, but that is energy. It does not need to come from a gendered body, but that it's something that's been feared by people for so long. And a big epiphany for me was that I was really afraid of owning it. Again, I don't like that term own. I was afraid of embodying it because I watched my mother turn away from it. And as I said, I I didn't actually have my grandmother on my mother's side who I was named after. Thank you, Helen. Mm. But that I didn't have her to see it, nor the great grandmother who was supposed to have these talents. And that I saw a lot of normalizing. And I use that word intentionally as like a negative of like, but through a point of survival, right? I had had a really great reading from someone I think of as a as a mentor who has an ability to receive messages from our ancestors. And I asked the question of, you know, oh, I heard they read tea leaves, you know, it, not was that true, but, you know, can you tell me more about that? And I remember her reaction because she laughed and she's like, they're laughing because they did a lot more than read tea leaves, but that was what they were allowed to do in the daylight. You know, that yeah. was something within the safe realm of people knowing that they had abilities to do. And I think about that a lot when I think about this card and owning healing that there's been centuries, millennia of, of fear around other abilities, especially the ones we can't always scientifically explain or, or, whatever way we want to use to try and quantify and justify something. But that's a big part of my process is, is not looking away from it is embodying the power that is a gift from my ancestors. It is. It is. And I think that's the message for you today. So how do you hold that? How do you embrace that? That power that's in you that you embody from so many traditions, lineages, and bring that out into the world, bring that gift into the world. Thank you so much for being here at 5 and 9. Thank you for this reading, for making space as a healer and growing that practice, because it's super clear that the world needs your gifts, your talents. Thank you so much. It's going to not just stay with me for a long time. I can, I can feel it. I can feel it sinking, physically sinking into my bones. And I, I'm looking at these beautiful rock formations around us. And as we were driving yesterday, some of us were talking that they look like calligraphy or hieroglyphs, the way the water has worn away on the rock. And 
it feels like the perfect visual for where this message is sitting. Almost one of those of the ancestors are like, how many more times do we need to give you this message? <laughs> Ma'am, listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I see that. Okay, heard. Mm-hmm. Heard. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for this gift. Five and Nine is an independent podcast at the crossroads of magic, work, and economic justice. It's co-founded by Darcy Santos, Xiaowei Wang, and me, Anna A.X. Mina. This special season is co-presented with one of many studio, an experienced design and consulting studio connecting people with what it means to be a future ancestor. And most of it was recorded and produced on location in Jordan during a one of many artist residency. The music was recorded live and performed by Hashim bin Muwaitik. If you enjoyed this show, consider leaving us a review or becoming a paid subscriber. Find us at thisis5and9.com, on Apple, Spotify, Google, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we wish you comfort and ease in these difficult times. Remember to breathe deeply, drink plenty of water, and take a moment of rest wherever and whenever you can.